Okay, let's get started. Bricks and Mortar podcast. It's buying, selling, renting. If you're into that game, then you're going to find something of use in the next 30 minutes or so. Tied into this, obviously, were Bricks and Mortar mortgages. I like to think of Bricks and Mortar mortgages that we act for the harried, the hopeless and the haven't a clues. Bottom line is, you can organise your mortgage yourself. Any Tom, Dick and Harry can go and get a mortgage themselves. Whether or not you get the best deal, I think you've probably got to go to a broker. But if you have a problem with your credit or you have a problem with affordability or you don't know how to do it, then you need to go and see a broker. The Harried, well, we help those who are time poor, those who would rather say, Johnny, you just do it. You know what you're doing. I've got too many other things to think about. The hopeless, well, those are the hopeless cases and chings we had a few to uh, this week. Uh, so where we sit with the hopeless cases is that we're whole of market. So we will be able to explore all of the mortgages on the market. But sometimes there are just some no hopers out there. If you've signed a trust deed and you are just out of that trust deed, trying to get you a high street mortgage is going to be nigh on impossible. Most of the lenders are looking at at least three years. That's three years since your discharge to look at a mortgage. Most of the high street boys are looking at a six year period. One of my colleagues suggested going to have a look at the credit union. They may be able to give you a better chance at getting something. So if you've had any problems as far as the trust deed is concerned, then and you're just coming out of the trust deed, then credit union might be someone to go and have a chat with. But go and see a broker first of all, because they may be able to, to help you out. This week's show, what we're going to talk about is I'm going to talk about a story about a West End flat that we were unlucky not to get. I'll tell you a bit about that. I'll tell you about a blog that I've done on limited companies. So we'll have a chat about that. And finally, I'll have a chat about growing the business. I'm still having a chat with a business coach to try and come on on a weekly basis and also a voice coach who we're speaking to as well. I think they might be prepared to come on and have a chat just to give us some pearls of wisdom every fortnight or so. But listen, let's kick off. First story here is one of a West End flat. We've got... Buying in the West End is always tricky and it's trickier, I think, at the moment because there is a distinct lack of stock. I think this will probably all change. We're talking about this in February and generally what happens is that there's no stock on the market in January and sellers make an absolute killing and then a whole raft of stock comes onto the market in uh, Feb- late February, beginning of March, and then things start to equalise. Anyway, we came across a flat, great two-bedder flat in the West End, and unbelievably it had gone to a fixed price, 250 fixed price, and it was home reported at 275 And I always think being a wizened old ex-solicitor of 25 years, I'm thinking it's too good to be true. But it wasn't. It wasn't too good to be true. The problem was that the clients wanted to go and have a look at it on a Saturday. And I said to them, listen, if if the place isn't riddled with rot and there's not so much damp that, that uh, you could have a shower in, 
If it's not that, then this might be one worth exploring, but we're going to have to act quickly. So what we did was being the ex-solicitor and the fact that I've got a connection, I'm a consultant with Lindsay's solicitors. So we spoke to Cheryl McCourt there at Lindsay's and we organised that we got the offer ready to go on Saturday morning. So the plan was clients would go out to see the property. They would then phone me immediately once they were out. And if they wanted to go ahead with it, then I was armed with an emailed offer and we would then email the offer over to the estate agents. And that's what happened. Clients phoned me and we put the offer in. It was a devil of a problem actually trying to get uh, through to the estate agents on a Saturday morning. Eventually got through to the estate agents on a Saturday morning and confirmed. they confirmed that they'd got their offer. And so we'd done our bit. We had got the offer out to the estate agents, bang on the fixed price. And we just waited until Monday to find out whether or not we'd been successful. I'm guessing that my clients were the first offer there. And generally what you'll find is that first offer at the fixed price will do the deal. But they came back on Monday and they said, no, they're not accepting our offer. Unfortunately, what the estate agents were telling me was that they got a cash offer and that cash offer had a better date of entry. I mean, the date of entry that we had was a, a, a movable date of entry, but we needed to get a mortgage. So at the moment, it looks as if the deal's not going to go ahead. It's a real bugger because it's a fantastic address, uh, super location. And to get something at 25 grand under home report in this particular market, that ain't going to happen. Not going to happen often. Uh, certainly, I can't remember a time in my 25 years where I've ever come across that. So clients back to the drawing board. Uh, it's been a bit of a bugger. Still no word back from the estate agents in connection with the Southside property that we spoke about. That was the one where the client pitched up on the Monday, wanted to note an interest. And when I noted interest, there were nine notes of interest. By the end of that day, there were 13. And then we closed the deal, closed for closing dates on Thursday. I don't know how many offers they ended up getting, but we've still not heard anything back from them. I'm not expecting that it's going to be good news, but next week I'll circle back around and tell you, hopefully try and find out what it went for. So that's the story of the West End flat. I am expecting things to calm down. I got a call from one of my clients uh, who'd read our newsletter, which we send out. And I was saying, you know, if you are a a seller, then you need to get that property on the market just to catch the fag end of this hike and this spike in properties. But the, the, the property was out in Canvas Lang. I'm not too sure whether or not the ripple will affect, will uh, go out as far as Canvas Lang, but I said that he needed to go and speak to an estate agent and go and have a chat with them just to see whether or not they would think that the, uh, the ripple will A, go out as far as that, and secondly, whether or not it would continue into March. Next thing I want to talk about is the blog that I did on the limited company side of things. This will be interesting to those of you who are wanting to dip their toe into buy to let. And specifically, what we're talking about here is limited company buy to let. The, the amount, it's, a, it's something that we do a lot of at Bricks and Mortar Mortgages. And we act for a lot of uh, landlords. We are probably, that's one of our, well, that is our niche 
I guess if we're going to be saying we've got any sort of niche, then buy to let is is where we do a lot of work and helping a lot of clients. Situation, I think, for the last, I guess, 18 months, two years, is that we are forever getting clients coming up and wanting to explore the limited company side of things. And I thought what I'd do is I'd just do five, 10 minutes on that just to give you my thoughts on the limited company side of things. I think as all things to do with buy to let, you need to know where you're going as far as buy to let is concerned. You need to know what the end game is because if you don't have an end game, any of the professionals who are going to be advising you are going to be giving you advice based upon that end goal. And if you've not thought about it, I would be saying to you, go away and think about it. Why are you wanting to get in to buy to let? Is this going to be a pension play, i.e. are you going to buy properties, hold on for them, you won't be flipping them and you're not going to take any of the income out because you don't need it. But ultimately, you'll probably end up going down the route of a capital and interest play so that at the end of the day, you'll end up having a host of flats which will form your pension. So that's the pension play. There's the flip play where you buy properties at below market value if such a thing exists and you will do them up. You'll add value, whether that's an additional room, tart the place up and hope to catch a wave as far as the market is concerned. And then you'll rinse and repeat. Or it might be a play where you're thinking, you know what, I want to go full time as far as this is concerned. And that is that is difficult. That is hell of a difficult. I remember watching a television program once that said the easiest way of making money out of property is really, really easy. But it's only easy if you hold on to the property. If you have to put food on the table by flipping property, then it becomes a hell of a lot more difficult. You've then got to make sure that you buy correctly, which means that you're buying as low as possible and you're adding as much value as possible. A lot of the old eggs say that your profit comes not from what you sell the property at, but what you bought it at. And I think to a certain extent, that is certainly true. But you need to have, as Stephen Covey says, you need to start with the end in mind. Okay, so have a goal. Next thing I would be saying to you is go and see the accountant because he's the one. If your bottom line is if you're going down limited company and you're wanting to do this purely based upon a tax play, a tax avoidance play, then it's probably not the best reason to be doing this. And the accountants, listen, I'm not the numbers guy. Um, I've been a trained solicitor. I'm not your solicitor. Okay. Go and get your own solicitor. I'm quite happy just to, you know, spout forth. But ultimately, uh, if you're wanting accountancy advice, go and see an accountant. They'll be able to tell you the whys and wherefores as far as getting into limited company buy to let. They'll probably tell you that in order for it to make sense, once you take into account all the expenses, you need to be looking at six, seven, eight, eight properties. Obviously, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, then, you know, there's there's a tax, certainly a tax angle as far as that's concerned. 
But the other thing to be aware of is that you're going to have to pay for your accountant and that's going to be the best part of 1,500 quid. The other thing that you're going to be able to, or that you need to understand is that where you're getting a mortgage, the mortgages are going to be more expensive, more expensive as a limited company buy-to-let than they are as an individual buy-to-let. I'll give you a couple of examples. Santander currently top of the pile with regards to individual buy-to-lets on a two-year fixed rate, 2.34%, no arrangement fee, cracking deal. Not too sure about their service levels, but it's nonetheless, it's a cracking deal. Last month, January, Paragon were the best top of the pile as far as limited company buy-to-lets are concerned. 3.25. Let me repeat that. 3.25 plus they wanted an arrangement fee of the best part of a grand, £1,074, and that was borrowing £75,000. So the disparity, and this is based upon £75,000 worth of lending, the disparity is you're paying 146 quid for your individual buy-to-let on an interest-only basis and £203 as far as interest only on the company buy-to-let. You know, for, for maybe for many of you, that doesn't really... Well, you know, that's not too bad. What's that, 50, 50, 60 quid of a difference? But that's only 75 grand's worth of borrowing. What happens if you want to borrow £175,000? Once you start looking at big, chunky sums of money then you're going to end up paying a lot as far as interest is concerned. And so the benefit that you will get as far as the more lenient tax means that it might not be the best option for you. So you've got to, listen, you've got to take all of these things into account. It's not a magic bullet. So let's assume that you've got the goal, the end in mind, you've gone to see the accountant, the accountant gives you the green light. Listen, you're not home and host. Far from it, you're not home and host. What you need to know is you're then thinking about getting your deposit, sorting out your mortgage, and then setting up your SPV. Let's talk about the deposit. A lot of lenders are going to look at where you've got that deposit from. There's a big thing at the moment as far as business bounce back loans and people thinking potentially they can use these. Coronavirus related support as a deposit. You know what? It ain't going to wash. You'll also find, as far as lenders are concerned, that loans from another company, generally you're going to be struggling to get that accepted. Now, there's one caveat to that, and that's a repayment of a director's loan or a dividend payment from another limited company where they see that the tax has been paid. That's probably going to be considered. But you need to tread carefully when you're talking about the deposit. So you're probably better going to speak to a broker and just to make sure that how you're going to get the deposit is going to be okay with that particular lender. It might not be okay with one lender, but it might be okay with another. And that's one of the things about going to go and see somebody who deals with this on a day-to-day -day basis. Go and see somebody. 
because you'll, you'll save yourself one heck of a lot of time. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So you've worked your end goal, you've gone to speak to the accountant, your finances are fine, you're all good to go. Set up the SPV now. So it's a special, it is a special purpose vehicle. Now in setting up the special purpose vehicle, I can barely speak tonight, setting that up, you need to make sure that you've got the SIC codes. Okay, SIC, SIC codes, and it's the standard, I only found this out tonight, standard industrial classification, the SIC code. And there are four SIC codes that generally the lenders will want to see. One of these four, you don't have to have all four. But if you don't have these, then for a vast majority, I think it's only Aldermore who probably don't necessarily look at the SIC codes. But for everybody else, you need to have one of the four SIC codes. So let's crack ahead and let's go through these. 68100. Okay, 68100. That's all about buying and selling of own real estate. That's fine. Probably use that for flipping property. Next one, 68201. That's 68201. Letting and operating of own or leased real estate. So where do you use that? If you're going to have buy-to-lets and hold them, then this is the one for you. 68201. And then we're moving on to 68209. 68209. Managing of real estate on a fee or contract basis. Now for this, what you're looking at, this is the one where your portfolio has grown large enough so that the next step is to start employing people. And you can also start managing other people's property. So probably your letting agents is where you want to go for a 68209. And finally, we've got 68320, 68320. This is for real estate agencies. So if you're packaging deals for flipping, deals for uh, a third party, then 68320 is the one to go for. But for goodness sake, make sure that you get that right because you will have no end of problems in trying to explain to a lender why you got it wrong. Now, we're currently going through one where I think, honestly, it was the client's mistake and they just didn't get the right SIC code. And they've now discovered that it's the wrong SIC code. So we've had to go back cap in hand to the lender and say, listen, hands up, guys. We Client got it wrong. He's now, I mean, his intention, and this is the problem that you're going to face, that you'll then have to persuade the lender that it was always your intention always your intention to rent property or buy and sell real estate, etc. So, and sometimes the, the bank will say, listen, <laughs> you're at it. There's no chance. Um, so we're in a situation where we've given them our reasoning behind why they decided to do that, what they're now doing, and we're just waiting to hear back from them. It will go to underwriters. Let's cross our fingers and hope we get through the um, the gate as far as that one is concerned but you know get it right first time yeah get it right first time next thing to talk about after we've talked about the sick codes let's talk about only one spv now there's one lender in particular the mortgage works who seem to have a b in their bonnet and quite frankly i'm not entirely sure why this should be but on a couple of occasions we've fallen foul where we've approached the mortgage works and we've asked them 
to do a, a buy-to-let mortgage. And they've said no, and we couldn't understand why that was. But what they have said is that, well, your client has got two individual limited companies. He's the sole director, sole shareholder of one, and he's sole director and sole shareholder of company B. Now, company B already has got a mortgage with the Mortgage Works, and he's gone with uh, company A, where he's sole director, sole shareholder, to get funding to buy a property. I think it was to buy a property or to remortgage or capital raise. Anyway, the bank turned around and said, well, no, we're not happy with that. We're only happy lending to one SPV and one uh, with with the 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 one director. I, I still don't understand why that should be the case, but it is what it is, and they're standing firm as far as that's concerned. So SPV and only uh, SPV. So you've just got to to watch that. I think there'll be other lenders who maybe aren't overly concerned about that, but. The issue is that the mortgage works are probably one of the the go-to. If you speak to anybody who's dealing with limited company buy-to-lets, then I think a lot of them will say the go-to is the the mortgage works. They're they're good to deal with and the rates are are normally pretty good. So that's only one SPV. Next is directors and shareholders. Two shareholders, two directors. For a lot of limited companies, there are some out there who are prepared to look at four shareholders and four directors just you know do your due diligence go and see a a mortgage broker and make sure that uh, you know what the score is with regards to the number of directors next one again we've fallen full on a couple of occasions where the client's company is not I, i it's not, I don't think you could describe it purely as an, an SPV, mainly because maybe they were employing some staff and they were, uh, there was money going out for you know loan repayments on vehicles, etc. Now, I think the lender took the view that that was probably okay if you had 15, 20 properties and, and it was a reasonable shout to be employing somebody to look after these. But I think when you've got two properties and you're employing, you know, three people just to try and and avoid the tax, and then you've got a BMW coming out as far as a car payment is concerned, the, the lenders are just going to say, you know what, I think you may be at it here, <laughs> and they're not going to be prepared to lend. So you've just got to be, I think, what the banks ultimately are looking for is this. They're looking for an SPV where you've got your companies, okay, you've got your company there, you've got your properties, your rental income is coming in, you're taking off your mortgage and you're taking off the ancillaries, the ancillaries, i.e. to do with the running of a property, an SPV. So you're looking at your factors, you're looking if it's applicable buildings and contents, insurance, uh, any repairs, uh, furniture, etc. They just want a simple life, I think, the lenders. And I think if they're seeing that, then I think you've got a far stronger case in being able to get a limited company buy to let. Uh, 
So there we go. I've talked about source of deposit, SPV and only SPV, director and shareholder, only one SPV and the SIT codes as well. All of that, I've done a video and it's on the blog as well. What we're trying to do with the blog is to answer as many queries and questions that all of our clients have. So go on to the website, www.bricksandmortarmortgages. You'll see the blog there, brand new website. Go and have a look at that. Uh, it's Can I Get a Buy to Let Mortgage Dash Limited Company. Have a look at that. Look at the video. And if they've got any queries or questions, then you know where I am. You can get in touch. So we've spoken about the West End flat. We've given you a little bit of an insight as far as limited companies concerned. Let's talk about the business as such. As I said, I want to try and get this business coach on just so that uh, he can talk about what he does and hopefully give you some advice uh, in connection with what you're doing and how you're wanting to grow your company. Let's talk about Arshad Ali and the PIN network. So it's Property Investor Network. Arshad Ali is, I know him through BNI and we had a chat there and he was looking for, still looking for a mortgage advisor to come on and join PIN as their trusted mortgage advisor. And I've thrown my hat into the ring. I think we are would be well suited with regards to that on the basis that I've got skin in the game, half a dozen properties myself. As far as the legals are concerned, we tick the box as far as that. And um, we've got the mortgage side of things. We're whole of market, so we'll be able to assist with regards to that. But it was strange. It was almost like a sort of beauty parade with regards to, um, <laughs> not a beauty parade, maybe an interview. So uh, it was quite, quite interesting. I wasn't appreciating that it was going to be an interview, but uh, we we did that. And I think Arshad's got maybe two or three who he's speaking to and he'll come back to me in the next couple of weeks, I think, just to decide who he's going to go with. Uh, I'm looking forward. If we are picked, I'm looking forward. It's I think they meet on a monthly basis. It will clearly be on Zoom, as I think everything is on Zoom. And uh, I get an opportunity to give a, a five minute presentation about an aspect of buy to let mortgages, whether that be um, talking about a particular deal that we've done or a general appraisal of the market or the pros and cons of buy to let uh, limited companies against buy to let individual. I think it'll be a great opportunity for the firm to grow, great opportunity to mix and network and I'm sure there will be business that comes off the back of it. So I'm hoping that I've done enough to get through to the, I was going to say the next round, but I'm, I'm hoping there's not going to be another set of rounds like the X factor. Um, I'm sure it's not going to be like that. I'm sure he's going to make a decision and that's going to be it. So listen, we'll keep you informed about that to see whether or not I get through there. It's all very well growing the business and getting lots and lots of new business. But if you don't have the systems in place, then you are on to a loser. And one of the things that we are starting to investigate is a new CRM system. We're with something called Mortgage Brain. And it's just it's become, to me anyway, a little bit clunky. I think it's it's been great uh, to work with 
um, mortgage brain and it's served its purpose. But I'm just wondering whether or not there's something that we might want to look at. So in the background, we're looking at something and hoping that, uh, well, you know, it's one of these things. It, and the, the issue I think that you've got with, with changing something like a CRM is it's all to do with the data migration. I think the data migration is the ball ache because ultimately you are ending up transferring all of this data over and then you've got to try and find a home for it. And to a certain extent, a lot of it will be done on Excel spreadsheets and it will automatically migrate. But there will be thousands upon thousands of actual documents where we're going to potentially have to manually find a home for those and download them into folders on OneDrive or put them onto the new CRM system. It, it has to be a consideration, I think, if you are changing a CRM system. It has to be something that you're thinking about. I don't think it shouldn't be the reason why you don't do it. OK, the re it should all be positive and that it's the reason why you're doing it is to improve the customer experience and to mean that you're going to be able to help more clients. And I think for me, that's the driver behind the CRM. So we'll keep you up to date with regards to that. It is going to be, if we do go ahead with it, there is going to be an element of hassle. But again, I think at the moment anyway, I think that the hassle that we're potentially going to go through is, is going to be worth it. But again, watch this space. So there we go. Um, I've prattled on for the just on 30 minutes. I'm going to sign off now. As I said to you earlier, business coach and voice coach, two people I'm going to speak to this week. And here's one for you. Purple Bricks. Having a chat with Purple Bricks. Did you know the Glasgow branch of Purple Bricks? I'll, I'll leave you with this. The Glasgow branch of Purple Bricks are Purple Bricks best performing estate agency worldwide. So hats off to the boys at Purple Bricks. I spoke to Steve there at Purple Bricks doing a grand job there and uh, interesting just to see. I know people are, uh, uh, you know, they're a bit like Marmite at Purple Bricks, I have to say, but they've got, seem to have a great back office um, and it will be interesting just to see if they can last the pace there. Share price seems to be continuing to take a tanking, but they seem to be still there and uh, not going away. So it'll be interesting just to see how they continue to grow. Um, I don't think they've ever made a profit. It's a bit like, uh, what is it, um, Uber. Um, Uber has never made a profit. I don't think uh, um, Purple Bricks have either. Um, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Uh, but they seem to have got an enormous amount of backing. And when it comes to marketing, then uh, it's uh, it's all about the marketing pound and the marketing dollar. The more you can put in there, then uh, the potential, I guess, is that they're going to hoover up the market. It's a story that will run and run and we'll come back over the next weeks and months just to see how they're doing. So listen, I'm going to sign off. If you need a mortgage, call Johnny and start packing.